this sucks. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast where two old buds talk about video games. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And this is a podcast. You're listening to it. Good job. <laughs> so, Daniel, before we talk about video games uh, and the video game we played for this week, which is uh, Life is Strange, recommended um, by your girlfriend, Amy Lee. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought we, we could talk a little bit about uh, a very important event that happened in the world this week, which is the release of Avengers uh, Infinite War. Yeah. That's what it's called, right? Infinity War. Infinity War. Yeah, I guess it's for the Infinity Stones. Yes. Yeah. Rather than a war that lasts forever. <laughs> Although, <laughs> Marvel kind of does want it to go along, uh, go on as long as it can. So they can sweet, keep making those sweet, sweet bucks. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, we both saw Avengers. Yeah. Um, we're both comic book dudes. We um, are. I'm more of a Marvel guy. You're more of a DC guy. I was more of a DC guy. Well, but now they're breaking your heart left and right. Uh, but yeah, we both saw Avengers. Daniel, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Probably my favorite of the three Avengers movies, for starters. I think it's up there in the whole, like, Marvel pantheon. I'd say it's probably top five. Yeah. It's where my gut's putting it. We we have somewhat different opinions on the first Avengers movie. Yes. I'm more of a fan of it than you are. Yeah, definitely. Um, but this is definitely in, in, in consideration for, for replacing it as the number one. I nice. think we can all agree that um, Age of Ultron is not a good Avengers movie. And Daniel and I actually had a long text conversation about this. And Age of of Ultron should have just been an Iron Man movie, is my opinion. Right. The villain is completely created off of Iron Man's uh, hubris. Yeah. Um, It's an Iron Man character. Yeah. And it just, it never really fits into the grand scheme of the Avengers movies. It doesn't involve Thanos at all, except for like... I don't know, 20 seconds at the end, I think he says one thing about like, fine, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a terrible Josh Brolin voice, but uh, <laughs> no, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it just never really makes sense as an Avengers movie, much in the same way that uh, Civil War was a larger than Captain America, Captain America movie, but it was a Captain America movie. Yeah. I think Age of Ultron should have been Iron Man 3 instead of the hot piece of messy garbage crap that yeah. Iron Man 3 was. Yeah. Like you could argue that the origin of the Mind Stone was really important to the Thanos arc of the story. Right. But yeah, it definitely is kind of a weak link in the whole in the whole Thanos scheme of things. And we we uh Stephanie and I rewatched well, she watched it for the first time. I rewatched Age of Ultron pretty recently, right before we saw um Avengers three, but actually. And the Mind Stone is important because like it's what makes Vision Vision. Right. But it's really not that big of a part of the movie. Yeah. Like it's not so endemically tied to the movie that it fe- it's the movie just doesn't feel like an Avengers movie to me. It feels like an Iron Man movie that everyone has to help because he's so inept. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about it is it does have ramifications in the rest of the series like the events of Civil War are are directly related to the yeah. aftermath of Age of Ultron. A- yeah. Age of Ultron, but that part of Civil War is the worst part of Civil War. That plot doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> so it's like they tried they did connect it through. They did create those threads to other um series within the overarching narrative. Yeah. But it just Infinity, nah, I keep doing that. Infinite War. No Infinity War. Ah, right God damn Infinity, Infinity <laughs> War. I don't know why I can't keep that straight. Mm-hmm. Infinity War feels so much more like an Avengers movie to me. And, Absolutely. And, and that makes me feel even more upset about Age of Ultron, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. 
Now, I think they just did a really good job. Like, it definitely has the best pacing of any yeah. of the Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that we have differing opinions on Avengers 1, and I think where Avengers 1 sort of falls flat is the pacing is just all over the place. Yeah, it is. Avengers was supposed to be this big event. If I'm bored for, like, 20% of that movie, that's that's not... That doesn't... You didn't do a great job. <laughs> yeah, you made a DC movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, that's what the thoughts on the Avengers. It was a pleasant moving on experience. It yeah. hit a lot of the uh, positive chords, I think, that comic book fans are looking for. Yeah. Although, I will always be upset. We were also talking about this. I will always be upset that Planet Hulk did not get its own movie. Yeah. As much as I like Thor Ragnarok, Planet yeah. Hulk deserved its own movie. It absolutely did, yeah. I'm absolutely 100% in agreement on that one. So yeah, that's our Avengers podcast recap. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get into the talk about video games. There's been some interesting video game news this week. Yeah. Uh, I think the number one piece of news we wanted to cover was that the news that Valve listens to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was really funny timing. We did our Firewatch episode not too long ago, and then uh, last couple weeks, Valve announced that they have acquired Campo Santo. They own the company now. So you're welcome, Campo Santo, for driving <laughs> up your uh, <laughs> the interest in your, in your brand. Uh, this is a really interesting piece of news because Valve has not really focused on making video games lately. Lately? Uh, <laughs> in the past five to ten years. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, maybe tens. Like, ten, uh, ten might be a little long, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time, yeah. especially in the world of video games. Yes, uh, they've been focused more on uh, their Steam storefront, yeah. and like they they did a thing where they tried to make Steam computers for a while. That didn't really take off. They did the whole like Steam VR thing, which is actually still. It feels like Steam VR is something they're really focusing on now. I think that's part of the reason they've acquired Campo Santo. Campo Santo is making In the Valley of the Gods. They announced that at the end of last year. They've confirmed and underlined three times that they're still going to finish that game. It's just <laughs> it's going to be published as a Valve game now. And I have a feeling that Valve bought these guys because they saw they saw Firewatch and they saw In the Valley of the Gods and they're like, ooh, this would be a good VR game. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I I've been thinking about that like since they made that announcement. That Campo Santo is just naturally a very VR compatible developer. Yeah, I the, could see that. That's that's really interesting. The way yeah. they make these really immersive first person games. Well, and the perspective is always from from that per, like first person close perspective. So all you see yeah. is the character's hands and legs, essentially, yeah. Yeah. which ties in very naturally with VR. Yeah. So I don't know if In the Valley of the Gods is going to be a VR game. It might be a little bit late to. Yeah. Add that on to the production. Right. But I feel like the next Campo Santo game will have heavy VR functionality, if not be like a Steam VR exclusive. Interesting. Yeah. That's, well, that's Daniel, what I'm thinking. You're bringing your prediction mindset over from your other podcast, <laughs> bringing oh, it here to, oh, <laughs> to the, play this. The prediction mindset was always here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I I still think that's cool news, and whatever helps Campo Santo make a really expensive video game, I'm, right. I'm all for it. Yeah, I I it's interesting to hear that there might be people out there who think who like that they, they had to reiterate that they were still going to right. Like it's so far <laughs> in development, they already showed it at a big games conference. Like, yeah, yeah. Clearly, that game was going to come out. Valve wasn't going to be like, hmm, interesting. I'm going to buy you now and not publish this game that you've told the whole world about. Obviously, I never thought that was in danger, but I don't blame people for. For thinking that Valve is 
going to like acquire a company and then do something that's not gaming related with it immediately. Yeah. I I understand that panic. I I think I think that's a valid feeling, but it feels instead like the opposite might be happening that Valve sort of tried some other things and now they're like, "Okay, we need to sort of make video games again." Well, and, have someone else do it for us. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> we <laughs> it'd be it'd be nice to make money on video games yeah. again. Let's figure out how we can do that with our current setup because everyone on our team that made video games has left now because we took so long <laughs> and leaked the ending of Half-Life Episode <laughs> 3 on on the internet. That was bound to happen at some point. Oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool, too. I mean, like like you said, anything that gets Camposanto a bigger budget, I'm down for because clearly it's a studio that's not short on ideas. Yeah. Cool. So what else do we want to talk about in this week's of video games news? So this... That sentence made no sense. <laughs> this week's? Yeah. <laughs> We're recording this after work on a Wednesday, so yeah, <laughs> bear with us, folks. <laughs> so this is, in the grand scheme of things, a very small announcement, but a really cool video game got mm-hmm. announced this past week. It's called Eastward. Yeah. It's being published by Chucklefish Games. Who uh, I love. Yeah, they, they made Stardew Valley, yep. and they're working on Wargroove and Pocket Rumble, and they're... They just publish a lot of really cool looking indie games. Are they also the one working on um the monster not monster, the the wizard RPG that's like very much in the style of Stardew Valley? Yes. Yeah, uh, that game looks sweet. Yes. Witchbrook. Yeah. And that's actually being made by the guy that developed Stardew Valley. Yeah, that game looks great. And uh he's actually the one who owns the company, Chucklefish right. as well. Yeah. East, Eastward also looks great. Yes, yeah. Eastward is not being developed by Chucklefish themselves. It's being published by them. It's being developed by a, a team called Pixpill. And, oh, it just... There's some games where I just see it and the aesthetic just instantly clicks. It's like, yeah. oh, this is exactly the kind of game that I'm going to love. Absolutely. And Eastward does precisely that. It's basically, like, it has the story of Last of Us. Like, a father figure character is guiding a little girl through a post-apocalyptic setting, but it looks like an Earthbound game. Yeah, and it's got some of the sense of humor of an Earthbound game. Yeah, it's definitely got like that whimsy and that charm just yeah. inherently in there. I never realized that that's a love child that I <laughs> wanted out of a video game. Yeah. Oh man, the music was so good. It's it's cute. It's you should listen to the trailer. It's better than what I just did. <laughs> they uh, didn't just record you doing that. <laughs> the music. That announcement trailer was just incredibly well made. It sold me on the game instantly, and they don't even have a release date yet. So no. I would I would expect to see it 2019 at the very earliest. The only problem for me is that they've only announced that it'll be on Mac and PC. I don't even I don't think they even said iOS, like specifically Mac mm. and PC, and like. I would love for this game to come out on Switch. Oh, yeah. I actually that's... tweeted that at them. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't have, you know, a PC in my life that plays video games right now. And I don't plan on it in the future. And this game looks like it would be a perfect fit for the Switch. It absolutely would. I think one one sort of thing to be optimistic about there is that Chucklefish is putting a lot yeah. of their games on the Switch. They're putting their games on everything. Yeah. Because Stardew Valley can sell on everything. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I mean, like... All of their recent games have have announced like Switch support. Uh, at least one of their games, upcoming games, is supposed to be a Switch console exclusive. Oh, interesting. So I I think I would not be surprised if Eastward ended up 
on the Switch at the very least, if not also PS4 and Xbox One and stuff. Well, Chucklefish and the other guys whose name I've forgotten. Big Spill. That guy. If you're listening to this, put your game on Switch and ignore the fact that I forgot who what your name is. <laughs> they Yeah, they should listen to us and not like the thousands yep. of people asking them to put it on Switch yes. after that trailer. Noted uh, games journalists and uh, prognosticators, Max and Daniel, <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> hey, we got Valve to buy Campo Santo. <laughs> Clearly that was all us. So if you listen to us, it'll be nothing but ups. Clearly. That's kind of the news of the week. So, what else have we been playing recently? Which um, me, it's nothing. I'll be, I'll. Uh, oh, so okay. I can just get out of the way now. I've been playing okay. Life is Strange, and it's been a busy travel time. So that's right. all I've had the time to play recently. Okay. So there you go, Daniel. Well, what have you been playing? Yeah, I've had a little more free time, so I've, I've been playing a couple things. The first is I got the Nintendo Labo. Yeah, I, you did. I can see the detritus. Yeah. <laughs> punched out pieces all over. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a cardboard wonderland in my house right now <laughs> everyone's favorite kind of wonderland <laughs> i got both kits i got the variety kit and the robot kit i haven't even opened the robot kit yet but i've i've made some stuff with the variety kit and man i really like the labo nice. actually i'm not really like a creator or a builder when it comes to how i play games you know like I didn't get any of the little big planet games because it seemed like, you know, 90% of that game was making stuff and I'm I'm not good at that part. Uh, I feel like you also didn't like when people would drag you off a cliff, which is like 90% of what playing that game is. <laughs> yeah, it also wasn't like a great platformer, which is like... <laughs> the physics of it are kind of weird. Yeah. Usually I like to play people's creations in games like that rather than make them myself, so I wasn't sure... How well I'd take to the fact that I would have to put together my own cardboard creations in order to play these Labo games. It went so well, actually, because for starters, the software tells you step by step how to put the cardboard tools together. Right. How to make the the house and the motorbike and the fishing rod and stuff. And it's so like it's so thorough and intuitive that I didn't mess it up, which is impressive. That's that's impressive. <laughs> They've Daniel proofed it. Yeah, they they did. They Daniel proofed their building instructions. So I've built the motorbike and the house so far. They both work perfectly, and the games themselves, right? They're they're basically not much more than tech demos. But I'm always really okay with that if the tech demo is something cool and interesting. And like, in this case, you'd say it is. Yes, yeah. Like I, I just spent like an hour like with the house where basically you slide the the switch into the front of this this cardboard house that you've made, and then you also make like little like knobs and buttons that you can slide into the house. And there's three slots to slide the knobs and buttons into. Depending on which holes you slide them into and how many you slide in at a time, the state of the house changes in like basically like a couple dozen different possible ways. And and inside the house is basically like this little virtual pet that you can kind of like feed and, and raise and like have it change its appearance in, in various ways. It's uh it's really cute and some like 
you can uh you can put like a button on one side and a knob on one side and then like play like a minecart mini game with uh with little virtual pet not super deep it's not like i'm playing god of war which came out <laughs> on the same day it's fascinating technology like the te- the technology is super cool the way they make these things work by using the ir sensor and the and the rumble and the motion sensing on the joy cons really incredible stuff i got really into it and the cardboard is super sturdy and nothing broke under my clumsy ass hands. So, <laughs> so yeah. now that now that you've tackled the variety pack, you think you're ready to move on to the robot pack? I do want to do the robot pack. One one thing about the Labo stuff is that building these things takes time, yeah. you know? Like I spent like four hours putting the house together, two hours with the motorbike. That robot kit, like the just making the backpack with with the levers on the inside that you have to like pull in different ways that's that's going to take me a whole day yeah and that's been really intimidating so i (laughs) I haven't even opened it yet i am looking forward to being able to do that and the robot set of games looks like they're really stupid fun like i can't wait to just stomp around my living room like like a friggin (laughs) (laughs) nine-year-old actually like it's it's great because i got these boxes and the the box for the robot kit, you know, you see sort of a person like modeling how the robot kit looks uh, once it's assembled and on your back and stuff. And the person modeling it is like an 11 year old boy. And I'm like, I'm going to make <laughs> I'm going to wear this. Uh, my 31 year old ass is going to strap up and <laughs> and mow down some buildings as a robot. It'll be so good. Well, it sounds like we'll definitely, for the next few podcasts, have Nintendo Labo updates from Daniel, uh, what he's been building, and and uh, what nine-year-old child he's impersonating. <laughs> My past self. This is great therapy, also, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man, it, it it's super it's super zen, like, building the kits, actually. It sounds like Ikea, but less traumatic. <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to put it. I actually really like that. It's, I got that from their branding. <laughs> Labo, Ikea, but, but less traumatic. And also fewer meatballs, most importantly. <laughs> oh, their meatballs are so good. I know. You you introduced me to their meatballs. No, yeah. No. I mean, there's not many meals you can get for that cheap that are that satisfying. Yeah. Right, let's hey, go to let's do the rest of this podcast from IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> get them meatballs. Aside from the Nintendo Labo, I got another game, kind of on an impulse, called Monster Prom. Me and Amy basically just got this on a whim because it seemed like a funny concept. You know, it just looked like a dating sim where you're at a school and all of your dating options are monsters. You know, you can date like a vampire or uh, or a demon or like a gorgon, you know. And uh, it seemed very comedic and tongue-in-cheek. And, and that by itself was like, okay, yeah, it's 10 bucks. Let's get this. And we booted up and we found out that it's... It's multiplayer, for starters. Oh, really? Yeah, it turns out that Monster Prom is basically like if Mario Party and a dating sim had a kid. Like, the way it works is you have three in-game weeks to sort of woo the monster of your choice and ask them to prom. You each get to select your own character. Your starting stats are decided by a personality test that you both take. (laughs) Up to four players can play. And then you each take turns going through... A portion of your day for example i went to the gym and then i i bumped into the zombie and we had a conversation and i had a choice whether to say something that he liked or something that he didn't like that i obviously didn't know in advance and then after that 
Amy went to the library and uh, and she bumps into the Gorgon and they have a conversation. Over the course of the game, you can either like just decide to like woo different characters separately and sort of like each have your own standalone experience just at the same time, basically. Or you can both try to woo the same character and sabotage each other. Oh, yeah. It sounds a lot like there's um in one of the more recent Jackbox party packs. There's a monster dating social engineering game. Oh, interesting. It sounds very similar to that. Oh, that's weird, huh? Yeah, that didn't... being a you know, Jackbox game, it's obviously much shorter. Right. Um, but they sound very similar otherwise. Yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised by Monster Prom. Uh, the dialogue's really funny. More raunchy than I was expecting. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot, a lot of sex jokes and stuff. Uh, that game is definitely not for kids. <laughs> but it's, it's still, like very well written if they knew how to tell dirty jokes but they also knew not to make that 95 percent of their writing sure yeah yeah which which is always something i appreciate i think that's hard to find in, in yeah, it's comedy. a hard balance to strike yeah. yeah and the character designs are really great just player characters you could be all have like very distinct designs and all the monsters you could date have like they're all kind of archetypal personalities you know there's a mer girl that's basically just like starfire from the teen titans cartoons but she's also rich the the gorgon is very mean girl the there's a werewolf that's just like a dumb jock but they take these archetypes and they make them feel like fun distinct characters still i liked it a lot it was it was a lot of fun uh me and amy enjoyed that way more than we expected yeah <laughs> and for only 10 bucks like you know that's, yeah that's pretty good yeah no that was that was a deal it was good good game i liked it Nice. Yeah. I realized there is a game I can talk about, though I didn't play it. But on our flight back from Asheville, Stephanie finally played through Florence. Oh, nice. Which, for those out there who remember Florence, it's a game I talked about a couple times ago on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's a game by the guy uh, who designed Monument Valley. Mm-hmm. And it's like a kind of a short visual novel, kind of graphic novel, interactive video game. Uh, it's really beautiful. Stephanie also really enjoyed it. And it's just a really great opportunity for me to remind people to go out and play that game because it's awesome florence is great daniel play it i actually have it now it's on (laughs) my it's on my iphone i just haven't gotten around to playing it but stephanie had like a good time with it she did she did i think we both kind of agree that it wouldn't hurt the game to be like 20 minutes longer Mm -hmm. um but yeah she really enjoyed it okay nice yeah i am looking forward to experiencing that myself it's great sweet there is one more thing i did I didn't do this much, but I still checked out a little bit of it. Last week was the 41st Ludum Dare. Oh, wow. Man, yeah. I haven't thought about Ludum Dare in a while. Yeah. Uh, Ludum Dare is three times a year. There's this game jam. At the start of a weekend, a theme is announced, and people have 48 to 72 hours to make a video game from scratch that fits that theme. And Ludum Dare was something I was really into. Yeah. Like, like the post high school period. yeah 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 like like maybe yeah maybe like 10 like nine or ten years ago yeah like a like a while back and i sort of fell out of it but i sort of checked back in for this one and i loved the theme what was the theme the theme was combined to incompatible genres oh interesting yeah i'm surprised they didn't get to that theme earlier in their cycle <laughs> now that i think about it but that's yeah. a great theme yeah like i was sort of like watching like people make games in it for the entire jam and I've gotten to play a few now that the jam's over. And yeah, there, there's some really cool, really creative games. There, uh, there's one game where you raise like a Tamagotchi. You get to raise a Tamagotchi for five minutes, and then the Tamagotchi is entered into a battle royale setting where like it fights a bunch of other virtual pets and so oh. <laughs> until it's the last one standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You combine battle royale with the Tamagotchi virtual <laughs> pet. 
There's a really cool one that's like it's basically Space Invaders, but it's turn based. Oh, interesting. Uh, so yeah, like you, uh, you can either move your unit three times, or you can move your unit one or two times and shoot, and then all your all the enemy units like move move down the screen, and the goal is to like is to take out the the enemy before they get to the bottom. But when it's turn-based, like, it becomes more of, like, a strategy game. Yeah, almost like a puzzle game. Even. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was really hard. The developer was actually like, I'm not sure you can beat this game, actually. <laughs> I might have made it too hard. That's the fun thing about a 48-hour game jam. Right, yeah. Although, I played that for, like, two hours, and I did beat it. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. And then it just started over, because sure. uh, he didn't really have time to make an ending, I guess. Yeah, these you know the, these games aren't the most polished experiences, no, but they're all really neat. And there, <laughs> and there is this guy uh, who made this game called Upper Cards, where they combined a fighting game with a trading card game. Well, that's an obvious fit for you. Oh yeah, no, I I was like, ooh, like I I saw that and I bookmarked it, you know, like immediately. Yeah, absolutely, my jam. I forget what the other two games were called, but maybe I can, like, I downloaded them, I can find them, I can put them on the Twitter or something. Yeah, I was going to say, if I remember correctly from Ludendare, the games stay up after the the jam ends. Yes, yeah. So we'll tweet out links to these games uh, yeah. through our Twitter. Yeah, I, I love Ludendare in general, and this one was incredibly exciting to me because that was just such a fun theme. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the reasons why you kind of fell out of Ludendare was uh, the themes are voted by... Uh, voted for by the community yes and there were a couple years in a row where just like there were obviously really interesting choices to be made in the community was voting opposite of them and i think that kind of bummed you out on ludum dare after a while a little bit and i didn't blame those people because i think there's a large portion of the community that are spectators like me and want like interesting themes to be picked right but there's also a lot of people that are programmers and are like this absurd theme is not something that I can make a game for with the tools that I have. I'm going to pick something I can pull off more feasibly. Yeah, I understand that. But like the whole point of a 48 hour game jam is to get out of your comfort zone as a developer, not to stay within it. So to like, to not choose the wacky or the interesting uh, themes for that reason feels kind of like a cop out to me. Yeah. I feel you there. I feel you there. Either way, it was really cool to to peek back in, and they haven't announced the winners for this jam yet. That should be happening within the next week, so I'm excited to see what the community decides that the best two incompatible genre games are. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and definitely time for us to get those tweets out and for people to play the games and vote for themselves, too. So yeah, that's something you're interested in doing. Oh, no, they, Yeah, you, you can only vote if you entered your own game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Never mind. Sorry, suckers. so yeah those are the games we've been playing and uh, now let's talk about um, the game that was recommended to us life is strange but before we talk about it uh, we're going to bring amy back in so she can share her thoughts once again on uh, on why she recommended this specific game to us for joining us on the podcast yet again to talk about uh life is strange so yeah why what uh what about this game made you want to recommend it to daniel and i daniel and me the two of us (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, there was a lot of things that made me recommend this game to you too. Mainly the choices that you have to make and the fact that you can make choices, but also how your choices influence the game. I think Life is Strange does a good job at showing you how your choices influence the rest of the game. Meanwhile, Telltale and some other <laughs> games uh, don't really illustrate that quite as well. Yeah, they don't necessarily tackle that as successfully. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, so playing Life is Strange for the first time was a really interesting experience for me because I like those kinds of games where you get to make the choices, see what happens. I feel like a lot of games kind of give you choices that don't really matter in the end or it makes you choose another choice right. in the end anyways. It's the same outcome. You're on, a, you're on a set of rails, essentially. Right, and I think Life is Strange kind of veers off those rails quite yeah. a bit. Um, also, the characters are one of the biggest drives for me recommending this game to you. I think they do a very good job of making each character human, and I realized that characters can be important to a story, and I realized that maybe recommending it to you guys, you would also understand that a little bit better. Nice. Well, we're excited to, uh, to dive into our thoughts on the game. Uh, thank you once again for recommending it to us, and uh, Daniel is really creepily hanging out over your shoulder, and it's giving me the skeeves. Well, you know, in case I needed to say something, I wanted to be close to the mic, so... Well, I'm glad I've given um, you this opportunity. Yeah, so... Hey, Daniel. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, Ethan. No. Oh, <laughs> that's a reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Amy. See ya. So, Daniel. Yes. What do you think of Life is Strange? Well, um, I imagine, like, like usual, we'll start with some spoiler-free stuff. Yeah, let's keep those spoilers out of here. Get out of here, spoilers! <laughs> You're not wanted. <laughs> so Life is Strange is a game developed by Don't Nod and published by Square Enix, which, by the way, I thought that was a really cool choice for Square Enix. They don't really dabble in games like this all that much. No, this was a cool pick for them. And um, I think you can definitely tell where their influence came in in positive ways, and I'll talk about that more as we get into the game. But mostly the influence of their money, I mean. But Life <laughs> is Strange, I kind of categorize it as a modern point-and-click adventure game is how I like to think of these games. Uh, similar to Amy referenced Telltale, also um, Dear Esther, What Remains of Edith Finch, Gone Home. All these games kind of live in a similar space, which is these adventure games that are somewhat more structured. Yeah. They're kind of like adventure uh, visual novels. Yes. But one of the hooks of this game in particular and some of those other ones is that there's a lot of gamer choice. Yes. So you have a hand in crafting how the narrative of the of the story turns out to an extent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously not a complete choose your own adventure because that would be quite a high level of, pro of programming for games. Yeah. But there is, to varying extents in each of these various games, there's a degree of how much your choice affects the narrative, which is something that we'll definitely get into more as we kind of talk about the game in a, in a not-spoiler-free fashion. Yes. Because so many of the choices that you make in this game are tied to spoilers, frankly. Right. Um, but that's kind of the game in a nutshell. Um, it came out, I think, in 2015, if I remember correctly, um, kind of in that area. And the main story of the game is that you play as a girl named Max, who uh, grew up in Arcadia Bay, Washington, and then moved away with her parents to Seattle. But she's back for her senior year of high school because she got accepted into a prestigious arts um, academy for high school students. Uh, she focuses in photography. And the game is about the relationships that Max has with uh, the people she's left, the people she's meeting as she's kind of reentering this social structure, and then an impending apocalypse that is bearing down on Arcadia Bay. Yeah. And it's about how you as the player and Max as the character interact and navigate and kind of 
intercept this natural disaster that is that is coming. Um, the main hook of the game outside of the player choice is that Max um, has some newly discovered control over time. Yeah. And so the kind of the gamey part of this game is that when you are in certain situations, you can rewind time and you can solve certain puzzles or you can say different things to people or yeah. you can choose different actions um, by rewinding that time. Uh, which is a kind of interesting mechanic. It's kind of like Braid, um, but not written by Jonathan Blow. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> uh, but they took the Braid mechanic, which was a game that came out much earlier, and they pu- they figured out a way to put that mechanic in a narrative-driven game, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've been playing a lot of games that sort of focus on character choice, or at least have character choices like a heavy yeah. element of the game. Absolutely. And Life is Strange is one of those games that really touted that, yeah. that I hadn't played yet, or I hadn't played a lot of. I like I, I played like half an hour of the game <laughs> like a year ago, didn't get back around to it until it was incentivized for me to do so <laughs> by doing it for this podcast. Right. I'm, I'm, long story short, I'm, I'm glad that happened, and we'll definitely talk more about that. Yeah, it's interesting because um, this is the kind of it's. What, what's interesting to me is that this is a game that neither of us played, yeah. because it's both in both of our wheelhouses. Like oh, I yeah. think in the Venn diagram of of our video game choices, <laughs> this one kind of sits in the middle for us. This kind of this this style of game. We both like narrative driven games. We both like games that present choice to the gamer. Yeah. And we both like games that can be played in 20 hours or fewer. So it's like, <laughs> it's interesting that, that this was a hole for both of us. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm similarly glad that we got to play it for the podcast because I think it's an interesting game to talk about too. And I'm excited to dive into that conversation. Um, just before we do, just real quick, uh, what is your top, like your headline, like your headline statement about this game and your experience of playing it? Better Telltale game than Telltale <laughs> makes. Wow, that's really good. I'm actually just going to use that as mine too. That's, that's really good. <laughs> I think that's great because it tells us tells the audience both how we feel about the game personally. Yeah. And I think that's a really easy touchstone for people because people are very familiar with the Telltale style of games. Yeah, yeah. Definitely less buggy than a Telltale game. Oh yeah. Yeah, first of all, they they actually managed to make the video game good on a technical level, but also I felt like my choices mattered right. more than they have in any Telltale game. And, you know, there there were a couple points in the game where I was like, oh, regardless of what my choice would have been, the same thing would have happened. Right. And actually, whenever that happened, I just, like, pointed at the TV and was like, that's a Telltale choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Telltale heart. <laughs> but I I think largely the, the game just really does an excellent job of making you feel like you have control over it. It actually has a compelling narrative on top of that. It really gets you invested in all of these characters and the overarching story. Yeah. My least favorite thing in games like this, where you have uh, branching dialogue paths Mm -hmm. and player choice, my least favorite thing is that feeling when I'm in a conversation with a character and I feel like instead of trying to figure out what the conversation is, I'm trying to figure out what a game writer wants me to choose. Mm. That is one of my least favorite feelings in games, bar none. I hate it. Right. And it's a really hard thing to define. It's a really fine line between what is like, a conversation that makes sense and two characters would have right. or more characters. And what is like a game designer clumsily putting like an obvious path in front of me and me trying to figure out what that path is. Right. I really, that, that the friction that that decision causes makes mm-hmm. me really disengaged from games. Mm-hmm. And I think I had that happen less in this game than in a lot of games of its ilk. 
Like, I think there are a lot of games with branching dialogue paths that I, I feel that in every conversation, every iteration. And I yeah. felt that only a few times in this game. And we'll talk about what those are specifically as we get in. Right, right. But, like, I really didn't feel that that much here. And I really appreciate that about this game. Yeah. I, I think one thing about that, there's one aspect of Telltale games that kind of bugs me is I feel like there's at least a couple points in every episode of a Telltale game where you have a dialogue option, you pick it, and then the character that represents you says completely different thing yeah like yeah, I yeah, hate that. like uses that option in a way that's like whoa i like <laughs> right. the, uh one example that's practically a meme is in the wolf among us when you're talking to this character in a bar there's an option called glass him <laughs> uh and like you know like i think the first time i played that game i picked it right i was like oh cool i'm, I'm gonna pour him a glass of, of some nice some nice alcohol and give it to him at the bar and we'll connect. And then I picked it and I smashed his face in with a glass. Like, oh, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. Um, there's there's just sometimes ambiguity in what these things mean that is really frustrating to try and navigate. Yeah. One thing that inadvertently becomes a great part of Life is Strange's design is very early in the game, you get the, the ability to manipulate time and basically to rewind any decision that you make. Right. And this... I think maybe even accidentally becomes one of the best parts of the game's design, because if you make a choice and Max does something that you didn't want her to do, you can rewind it and pick something else. Now, there's one part of the game where that's not true, and we'll get to that too, and, and <laughs> the ramifications of that decision that the designers made. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, that's true. You don't get locked into trying to guess what a character is going to say and then being wrong about it and then being salty about that. Yeah. You have the opportunity to kind of recraft the narrative in a in a really useful way yes yeah it's really cool so it's hard to talk about this game too much longer without starting to talk about some spoiler stuff so yeah. if you don't want this game spoiled for you as always check out the uh, timestamps that daniel has put in the description of the podcast and jump around to wherever you would like to be yes uh we've we played a couple games recently where <laughs> where spoilers don't matter too much. I think this is a game where spoilers absolutely I don't matter. know what you're talking about. <laughs> Kirby has so many plot spoilers that are so important to that game. No, it's true. This this is a game that if you ever intend on playing it, uh, having as little knowledge about the outcome of the narrative as possible would be, in my opinion, the better way to go about it. Oh, yeah. I guess just before we jump into spoilers... I would absolutely recommend this game. To oh somebody. yeah, for sure. Yeah, this yeah. this is a good video game. It's got a lot of really impressive design choices, and I'm really glad it was recommended. To if me. you don't play a lot of games in this genre and you've always wanted to try one, you're like, hmm, what are these about? You know, and you're curious. Yeah, I would start with the with Life is Strange over starting with a Telltale game personally yeah this is a perfect gateway game into this kind of genre i i would agree with that so definitely recommend it on both of our parts yes cool so as we start to talk about the game one thing i appreciate about your outline this week daniel <laughs> is it kind of shows how much of a mess my brain is uh <laughs> because normally when we talk about a game we just kind of talk about whatever whenever and we just get to whatever we're gonna get to when we get to it right <laughs> but for life is strange in our outline daniel has literally broken it down by episode <laughs> so <laughs> we can talk through the game <laughs> as it happens which is a really interesting choice thank you daniel yeah, I, I, <laughs> my I, brain I, appreciates you <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, I thought that'd be a cool way to, to do this one. We haven't really done an episodic game before. No, we haven't. But as I was playing Life is Strange especially, I noticed that my opinion of the game kind of improved, like, by episode, really. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I think it did a really good job escalating, so I, I think it, it would be a cool thing to sort of talk about 
how our impressions sort of change over the course of this game and sure. breaking up by episode kind of helps. I, mean, I think one thing that's definitely true about this game, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like it has to be true, is that they were definitely listening to fan feedback between the episodes and adjusting, not necessarily oh. the narrative, but um, some of the mechanics of the game and I, how it's written specifically. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do, do you want to just jump into episode one? Let's jump into episode one. So episode one is obviously where like everything starts. Uh, Max first gets her powers right. in, in this episode, like very early in the episode too. They really, uh, they really make that happen as quickly as possible. What were your first impressions of like that first like hour of the game? Yeah, I thought it was a good first hour of the game. I thought it set up some of the character dynamics pretty well. You know, it starts with kind of Max being in the middle of this tornado that's coming to wreck the town. And oh, yeah, she's yeah. trying to learn what her, like, she is learning that she might have time powers yes. and trying to understand what that means. Um, and it's also in the framework of uh, being in a photography class, which Max is at the school for. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you get to see some of the various dynamics between um, the classmates in that scene and also the teacher, Mark Jefferson, yeah. who plays a much bigger role than I think anyone really anticipated <laughs> in the game. Um, yeah. And I thought it was a successful way to introduce you to all these people. Yeah. You know, because it's episodic, are some of the characters kind of stereotypes and archetypes? Yes. Yeah. And does that get rectified by being fleshed out more later? Yes. Yes. But at the start of the game, you do have to kind of like, you know, go in with like, all right, these people are just kind of reacting as stereotypes right now. Yeah. um, And hopefully that will grow as the game does. And and luckily it did. Yeah. It absolutely does on pretty much every front. There are characters in episode one, though, that are sort of already painted as sort of antagonists in the story. Right. Uh, like Victoria, sort of the yeah. mean girl character, the snotty prep who's your photographer rival on top of a lot of other things. I think it's useful. I don't think I want to go into the plot of each episode too much because I think that just gets too, right, too dragged messy. out of a conversation. Too messy. But I think we a basic overview of some of the characters would be would be useful. So you've got yeah. Max who's the protagonist. Right. Uh Victoria you mentioned is like the the classic mean girl, rich mean girl who uh is mean to everybody yeah. to hide her own weakness. Yes, yeah. Um Nathan is also the rich mean boy. <laughs> <laughs> the game has both for some reason. Yeah, but but like entitled. Yeah, just more of a shitty person like like Yeah, he's yeah. impulsive and violent and his yeah. family owns the town. Yes, yeah. Pretty much the most awful boy in existence. Yes. That's how he's painted, especially <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, Kate, who is um, a girl in your class who's clearly going through uh, a depressive episode, yeah. uh, which becomes clarified later. Yeah. Um, those are the major players. Then you also have some kind of, you know, some hangers on uh, people who are like a part of Victoria's clique. You've got yeah. some other kind of nerdy artist types. Yeah. Um, you, and you've got the really mean security guard. The, yes. Yeah, you've got David. David, who is a, a security guard who used to be a soldier, and he hasn't let go of some of those kind of more regimented tendencies yes. and like wants to surveil the campus. Uh, the principal, who is willing to put up with students' bad behavior to raise funds yeah. for the school. Mm-hmm. And then Mark Jefferson, the teacher who is handsome and a good photographer, and also <laughs> turns out a murderer. Yeah. But you don't know that till later. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember when I was I was like the very first like hour of the game, right? I'm like I'm like, oh, Dilf Professor is pretty cool. And Amy's like, <laughs> nope. don't stop calling him that. And I, you know, eventually became apparent why that made her so uncomfortable. Right. And uh and of course, 
uh, a character that doesn't really show up until the end of the episode, but she's very important in the grand scheme of things, Chloe. Yes. Uh, Max's estranged best friend from before she left town to go to another school, and she comes back five years later and they don't talk anymore, and Max actually doesn't recognize Chloe at the beginning of the game when she first sees her and saves her with her time powers. Yeah, that's the that's how Max first, first discovers these time powers. Is She's in the girl's bathroom, yeah. and uh, she can hear nathan come in and start an argument with a girl she doesn't know or see yeah and that argument escalates to the point where nathan shoots the girl and max in trying to stop that from happening accidentally rewinds time yes. and discovers that she has this power and then later uh chloe re- saves her actually from nathan's wrath yes um and then they realize hey it's max and chloe back together again yeah yay <laughs> but a, a little a little more rough yeah. than that to start yeah obviously yeah Chloe feels a bit betrayed by Max for, like, leaving and and not staying in touch all these years. And there's also the character of Warren, who's probably worth mentioning. Oh, yeah, Warren. Uh, Warren is, like, a science nerd who has a big old crush on Max. Huge crush, yeah. And you can either uh, tease him along as the game goes on, (laughs) or you can try to get him to have a crush on a different science nerd who's a better fit for him. Uh, And also not interested in women. (laughs) You... (laughs) I'm guessing you you pushed him away. I did. Yeah, yeah I, I did. I, d- I did the same thing in my playthrough, yeah. Like, I didn't necessarily know that the game was going to end up with Max having a romantic interest in Chloe. Yeah. Not just friend love for Chloe, but having romantic love for Chloe, which, right. is, which is what the game does decide. But even still, it felt like in the times when I wasn't making choices for Max... Yeah. It didn't seem like Max wanted to be with Warren. Yeah. So to to string that out any other way seemed like not not endemic to the character. Yeah. <laughs> I I did feel kind of bad like I I initially push him away because I'm like, "Oh, this guy's thirsty. He needs he needs to calm down." I mean, um, he's a science nerd in an art school. <laughs> <laughs> and and he is thirsty, but like the more I push him away, the more I saw that he was just a good and loyal friend, like yeah. like as as these episodes continued to play out. He's he's just a really good friend at the end, and like I felt kind of bad for pushing him away so much by the end. In an alternate universe, I think Warren would be a really good fit for Max, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I basically did do everything I could to pursue Chloe as a romantic interest throughout the game. <laughs> yeah. You know, for starters, uh, just to see that play out, because obviously there's there's not a lot of video games that sort of respectfully have lgbt romantic options i wanted to well and specifically video games that don't fetishize lesbian relationships yes exactly uh, which this game does not do yeah i think those are most of the major players i think also it's useful to know about the vortex club which is like the club run by the cool rich kids that everyone wants to be a part of but Mm -hmm. you have to be cool and rich to be in it and then that's that's really mostly it for episode one except for uh, the main inciting bit of game that really sets the rest of the game into motion, which is that there's this girl who used to go to Blackwell named Rachel Amber, oh, yeah. who has disappeared. Yes. And she was best friends with Chloe. Chloe had used to gone to Blackwell, but she got kicked out of the school. Yeah, for being um, a punk. For being a punk. Uh, Chloe's got a very tragic backstory. Her dad <laughs> died at a young age, which is something that Max tries to rectify later. We'll get into that. Yes. Um, but so this disappearance of Rachel Amber is something that Chloe is actively trying to figure out, trying to figure out, you know, where she is. She won't believe that she's dead. And Max kind of gets brought into that search. Yes. Uh, so that's really most of 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 episode one is establishing the story of Rachel Amber, establishing all these characters and establishing Max's powers and bringing Max and Chloe back together. Yes. Yeah. So I had a couple thoughts about 
how this all played out, especially like the first couple hours of this. Uh, first, I thought it was a bit of a slow burn, right? Yeah, yeah, the, necessarily so, I would say. Yeah, um, like the inciting incident uh, was actually like pretty cool and compelling, right? Like the fact that oh, hey, you can time travel and uh, and you already like get different decisions based on that. My first playthrough of this game. I actually stopped after my first telltale decision moment happened. Oh, really? Right? So very early in the game, like, you get your time powers and you manage to stop Nathan from shooting Chloe by pulling a fire alarm. Nathan doesn't see you. And then you leave the bathroom and the principal stops you and says, uh, uh, hey, you seem very troubled, Max. Can can you talk to me? Is there anything you want to tell me? You have the option to either tell him that Nathan was waving a gun around in the girl's bathroom or don't tell him anything and just be defensive and and refuse to cooperate. I chose to tell him. I chose to tell the principal what was As up. did I. Yeah. And then like, you know, he's like, "Oh, I well, I'll I'll look into this, but I he's an upstanding blah blah blah. He pays a lot of money to our school and I don't want to deal with this." And and then that conversation ends and, you know, I play some more of the game and then I get a text from my mom. The text is like, "Hey, I I heard from the principal that you're flinging around false accusations to students why would you do something like that please call me and like oh and if i was standoffish i would have gotten a text from mom being worried that i was a dick i felt like they were both the wrong decision and i was being shoehorned and interesting and actually shortly after that in my first playthrough i kind of stopped right like Hmm. that actually made me lose interest in the game a bit however my second playthrough i played through the game more my decision to tell the principal actually does matter in a positive way later. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I didn't have that experience when I had that interaction with the principal. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of just assumed that what the game was doing was setting up the the power dynamics of the school. Uh, that yeah. yeah, you told him this thing, but he doesn't want to believe you, so he's not going to. Yes, because it doesn't it doesn't make his life easier to. Right, and yeah. so it, it was a stat for me. It was establishing the character of the principal and establishing the power dynamic of of where Nathan Prescott sits in the school. Yeah, and, and it, so I didn't necessarily like obviously it does that, but I didn't necessarily like read that as oh man, my choices aren't going to matter. Yeah, I and it did do a good job of that, but yeah, initially I'm like oh I don't really have much power in this narrative, do I? Uh, that ends up being very false. Very false. Yeah. it's It started out kind of slow. It takes a little time for, you know, you to see, like, the distinct effects of your choices. But in sort of in the second half of the first chapter, you really get to see that. Yeah. I stopped at the exact wrong time when I first played through. <laughs> but I guess that worked out, because if I, if I had kept going... Yeah, we going, wouldn't be talking then... about it now. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that though the game is a, is a bit of a slow burn, the first three episodes are probably, like, three-ish hours each. Yeah. And then episode four and five are maybe four to six hours so like yeah. it's a slow burn but it doesn't take a long time to get through that exactly uh, and, this... the, and i think a more generous way of saying a slow burn is that the game takes time to build its world yes and that slow burn is already over halfway through episode one so yeah. it's it's totally fine one thing i'll also say about episode one and sort of my first impression was uh the dialogue <laughs> boy howdy <laughs> the dialogue whoa it's bad <laughs> So there's there's a lot of of assumptions on how teenagers talk in I'll, I'll just say it in the first episode there's phrases like go fuck your selfie and ooh that's a tasty plasma I can't wait to watch some Final <laughs> Fantasy the Spirits Within on that well bad that boy. that felt like just a non square enix to me like <laughs> <laughs> clearly like. Don't nod was appreciative that Square uh, decided to publish the game. Yeah. So like, we'll just give a little bit of a kickback to Square Enix. 
So there was some really, really corny and bad dialogue. I actually texted Daniel when my least favorite one happened, which is, so I wanted to rap about that action yesterday, which is said to you by a teenager in the year 2015. The game wants you to believe that a teenager said the sentence, I want to rap with you about that action yesterday. Oh, and, and, and the, like, the scene where Chloe is confronting Nathan in the bathroom, and she's like, "It's like, don't fuck with me. I hear you got hella cash." <laughs> uh, boy, like, yeah, it was difficult to connect with these characters sometimes yeah. because they were talking. They sounded like ridiculous. That. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> but what's really funny is that thing you said about don't not definitely adjusting as they continue to develop episodes. Yeah, uh, starting with episode two. The characters are written much better. Yeah. I like from episode two forward, I rarely remember thinking, oh, a teenager wouldn't say that shit. Jumping ahead a bit, I think that's where the story like really kicks off when like the writing gets better and the characters become more believable. Yes. I'm glad that I got through episode one and the way they talked in that. Episode one being written that way does sort of create some jarring moments later. There's a moment in episode uh, three when uh, you're talking to a. One of the effects that that Max uh, pulls off with her time magic is mm. to change Chloe's history, oh, and so you're yeah. talking to a very different version of Chloe. Yeah. And uh, Max says <laughs> uses the word "hella" yeah. to her, and Chloe's like, "Please don't say that word. I hate that word." Yeah. And like that was very clearly uh, some meta dialogue <laughs> happening. Yeah, uh, I love that bit actually. Yeah, that was that was really funny. So I was doing a little bit of research, very little bit of research on the guy who wrote the game. Mm-hmm. And I read this thing online. I don't know if it's true or not because I read it online, but apparently when he was writing the characters, he would share the dialogue with his teenage nieces mm. to get their sign off. And like, I'm just imagining how that went down with episode one. And like, <laughs> the nieces are not paying attention. They're on their phones. Yeah. Like, yeah, Uncle Mark, that sounds great. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just giving him the sign off. It's like, they clearly did not give a fuck about Because <laughs> no teenager would have seen that dog. I'm like, yeah, this is how we talk. Let's rap about it later. <laughs> I, for a second, I thought, I think it's Warren who says that line. I'm like, this kid's an undercover cop. <laughs> <laughs> no no teenager talks like that. He's 100% going to be an undercover cop. Greetings, fellow students. <laughs> Let's wrap <laughs> sure, sure, Uncle Ron, Tasty Plasma. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> now we're eating pizza. Go away. <laughs> so I think, Daniel, you kind of segued us into episode two, which I think is a great thing to do at this point. Yeah. Um, so episode two is the first moment in the game where you really get your big, your first big choice that really affects the narrative big, and um, the mechanics of the choice, game. Yeah. Uh, so in episode two, we get to see a little bit more of the character of Kate, who yes. um, is the bullied character we had uh, in episode one. Mm-hmm. And we learn that the genesis of her bullying comes from the fact that she went to one of these Vortex Club parties yeah. and made out with a bunch of boys and someone videotaped it and put it online. Yeah. And Kate uh, is very religious, comes from a relig- religious background, and has a, a, a hard time dealing with the actions that she undertook yes. uh, at this party while, while intoxicated. And what we learn is throughout the game is that she wasn't actually just intoxicated. She was drugged by someone who we think was Nathan. And that has really specific ramifications on Kate's life 
and on Max's life in school, throughout the episode, you have a lot of opportunity to stand up for Kate yeah. or to kind of fade into the background and let this bullying happen. Yeah. Um, Victoria is kind of the ringleader who, you know, keeps reminding Kate of the video and keeps calling her out for being a whore yeah. and all of these things. And you have multiple opportunities throughout the episode to kind of step in on Kate's behalf and remind people that bullying sucks and has ramifications. Yes. This comes to a head at the end of the episode um, when Kate is on the roof of the dormitory about to jump off. Yeah. And Max runs up to the roof to confront her and try to get her to stop. But before she gets up there, actually, I should backtrack to say that Kate does jump. Yes. And Max uses her rewind power to get up to the roof to stop her. Uh, but Max's rewind power for the most part, except for when it, what's introduced in episode three, um, is very short range. It's very limited. She can only rewind up to a couple of seconds. Yeah. So the, 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 the strain, the effort of continuously rewinding that specific moment enough to get her up to the, to the roof yeah. drains her power essentially. Yeah. And so for your entire conversation with Kate, <laughs> you can't rewind. <laughs> so whatever you say to her is final. Yes. Which I think is a really cool bit of design. Yes. However, <laughs> how it's implemented is really shitty design. Um, so I've spoken for a while now, Daniel. I don't know if you want to interject with that, with your thoughts of how that all goes. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated that there was this moment where you, your choice could not be reversed. Like the, the way this dialogue went, no take backsies on that. <laughs> I really appreciated the stakes. Like, I felt the stakes yes. when that happened. It feels very real. Yeah. And and that was really intense. Like, you know, I, I played through the whole game with, with Amy watching me play and my roommate slash frequent play this special guest, Sean, also watched a lot of me playing this. And we were all like practically holding our breath for this whole sequence. <laughs> yeah. It was just dead quiet in the room while I like, I made these decisions and each one felt like it was like, oh, is this where I fuck up? You right. know? Well, I think before we get to the end, I want to okay. set up more how that conversation goes. Okay, yes. Uh, we can say at the front, Daniel saved Kate and I didn't. Yeah. So that obviously colors our experience of this moment. Yes. But I think I can speak to why it bothers me outside of just my experience. Yeah. Um. So basically, you can't rewind. So everything you say to Kate matters. Yes. You can't fix it. Yeah. Um. And essentially what happens is... That that conversation references specific moments in the game earlier where you had an opportunity to, opportunity to intercede on Kate's behalf. Yes. And depending on how well you did in those scenarios, you might be better equipped for this conversation. So yeah. in addition to like specific moments where you could pay attention to Kate or help Kate out, there's also a moment earlier in the game where you were in her dorm room. And depending on how much you snooped around, you <laughs> could learn things about her life that then were actually applicable to this conversation. Yes. So... Basically, if I understand the mechanics of it correctly, there are three times in the episode when you can be a good friend to Kate. There's a time when she calls you. There's a time when you erase uh, the link to the YouTube video off of the mirror in the girl's bathroom. And there's a time when something else happens. I can't remember what, but you can also intercede on Kate's behalf. Uh, there's Yeah, there's there's four times. There's the phone call. She, she calls you and you can either pick up or you can keep paying attention to chloe who by the way gets mad at you for not paying attention to her yeah who gets mad at you if you pick up for kate so like you know cool friend yeah (laughs) chloe is a brat for the first half of the game yeah but but she's still a really good character and we'll obviously talk about that later you can you can erase the link on the mirror you can also erase the bullying that's on her whiteboard outside of her room right and you can either tell her you believe her and that she should call the cops or that you she needs more proof that she was drugged at the party yeah. before she goes to the cops. Yeah. 
So those are the four instances you have um, decisions to make that have deeper ramifications for this conversation later. In addition to that, depending on how much snooping you did in her room, you can answer her questions and uh, prompt her to think about not committing suicide in a way that's related to things from her actual life. Yes. Um, If you've done those four things, you have more opportunities to fail and have her not jump. Yes. Um, But every time you use the wrong response, she gets closer to jumping, essentially. Yes. And then the final one is bullshit. Um, so that's basically the general setup. Yeah. Um, and we've already said, so Daniel effectively saved Kate. Do you want to talk about how that conversation went for you? Yeah. Um, Cause I'm going to go on a diatribe when you're done. Yeah. So get what you want in now. Okay. So I fucking nailed it. <laughs> I, uh, I was a rock star for that conversation. I did, I did everything right leading up to that. I picked up for Kate on the phone. I told her to go to the cops. I erased any bad mouthing about her in general. And like, I didn't even do this, like, anticipating what right. happened at the end of the episode. Right. I just was fiercely protective of Kate because I loved Kate. She was one of my favorite characters in the whole game. She she was just, like, super adorable and sweet, and she did not deserve what was happening to her. So, like, any any chance I had to make her feel better or, like, support her, I just did that, like, because I wanted to. So when when it got to that point, I got all of the buffs for that conversation. And on top of that, like, throughout the conversation, there's also just... A bunch of basic, like, talking her down, like, dialogue exchanges, right? There's stuff, like, where you can be, like, she's like, that video's everywhere. Everyone's going to talk about it for the rest of my life. You can be, like, there's millions of videos. You can say, like, be strong. And I basically picked all those dialogue. I happened right. to pick all those dialogue options, right? Because I was I was really vibing with Kate, and I empathized with her a lot, and I, I picked the choices that I thought fit her best. So I didn't even get to the final question. Right. The The last question she asked me before she stepped off of the roof was like, nobody besides you cares about me, Max. And if you're snooping around her room, you can find a postcard from her dad that's yep. like, I love you, you're my little nugget or whatever. Which I also reminded her of. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, your dad loves you. And she's like, my dad does love me. And then she got my hand and she she came down off off of the the, the roof sill and and we hugged, and I led her downstairs, and we got her admitted into a hospital. Everything was good. Max, like you know, Max was a was considered a hero. Kate was safe, and and she shows up in in future episodes in 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 fairly minor ways, but like you still feel the influence of of Max having saved Kate throughout the rest of the game. And I was. <laughs> Like I was so relieved. Like I was like, "Oh, thank God!" And and Amy was like, "I'm so proud of you." And uh, like we all like let out the sigh of relief. Um, that and that was a really cool part of the game for me. But yeah, like the the dad thing was the last question that I that I had to answer before she stepped down because I'd done everything else right. So that was cool. And then on the other side of the coin, it was a really <laughs> frustrating experience for me because. I think this is an an area where the game designers wanted something to happen so badly that they didn't think about how they'd actually implement it in a way that was true to the world that they'd set up. Hmm. So like Daniel, I did all four of those things correctly. I helped Kate every chance right. I could. And when I got up on the roof, this was kind of one of those scenarios where I felt like I was trying to guess what a game designer wanted me to answer 
And I hate that feeling. Yeah. And this is actually one of the few times in the game where you were given a dialogue choice and then Max actually doesn't say that. She says something else. Mm. And it felt like a one-two switch. Like, I forget exactly which choice it is. It might have been the, um, there, there are millions of videos posted every day one. Where right. instead of saying that, she's like, everyone's got a video like this online or something. Oh, and Kate reacted no. to that really negatively. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not what I wanted to say. <laughs> not everyone has a video like this online. It's true that there are millions of videos and this will be forgotten. It, I can't remember exactly what the scenario was but there was right. one of those where it did feel like a bait and switch yeah. where it's like that's not what i thought max was going to say nor is it what i wanted max to say right i and i also did because i was a caring friend who looked around a caring <laughs> friend snoops on their friends apparently <laughs> i reminded her that her father loves her which is one of the right things you can also remind her um that she's got uh siblings who love her and that also works apparently oh okay nice um but the final question is really terrible and basically you're supposed to quote the right bible verse at kate um and it's like the choice is like something from matthew a psalm and something else and Uh, and you can say suicide is a sin oh sure right right uh (laughs) and this is referenced in her room there there one or all of these is in her room because she's religious and whatever right uh i felt particularly singled out by it again being jewish like (laughs) I I don't know what the difference between Psalm and Matthew is like those. I, I don't know. Maybe a really good Jew knows, but that's not me. And for it to all hinge essentially on on choosing the right Bible verse when. So what the what the writers are saying is that it's not it doesn't matter how good of a friend you are and actions don't speak louder than words <laughs> actually knowing the right Bible verse speaks loudest. It turned what was this emotional poignant decision into a farce <laughs> it, it it basically there was no point to max being up there mm. as a good friend if none of those things actually mattered and i think it's great that those things gave you a discount in the conversation like those gave you buffs as daniel who i think is a good word that daniel used yeah. i it was good that you went and buffed for that conversation but to have those actual tangible things be undone by quoting the wrong bible verse is it's what you're laughing because it's literally a joke (laughs) the game designers literally played a joke on the gamers by putting this farcical choice into the game that has the this is the only time you can't rewind a decision like this yeah it only happens here there's a couple of choices that you can't take back, but this is, I think this is the most... The most prolonged and most iterations of choices you can't take back yes. strung together. Yes, correct. And to do that, and then to set it up in a way that essentially is a trick, I think is bad game design. It's not necessarily the fact, like, I'll be honest, as honest as I can be. If we both saved Kate and I read that it was possible to fail in this way, I would still be saying the same thing right now for all mm. those gamers out there who didn't save Kate. Uh, I think, you know, they show you the, at the end of each episode how many people chose or did what you did. Yeah. 52% of the gamers at the time that I played at Save Kate, 48% didn't. Yes. And you know damn well that a large percentage of that 50, 52% was people playing the game over so that they could save Kate. Or people using guides. Yes. Yeah. I think the game designers probably feel pretty proud that it's basically a 50-50 coin flip. I think that's what they want. Right. But they basically inserted a trick to get to that point. No, I, uh, like, you know, I saved Caden, like, so, uh, obviously I'm, I'm less robbed, right? Like, yeah. I, yeah, but, like, hear you say this, I, I can definitely understand how you feel, like, ripped off by this experience, like, by this part. Right, we're talking about, change. we're talking about this game in which choices finally matter for gamers. Yeah. And here you are saying all the choices I made, four choices in one episode, yeah. leading up to this moment, essentially didn't really matter. They, yeah. quote unquote, mattered because they made the conversation better for me. Right. But in the end, they didn't matter because all Kate cared about was a Bible verse. <laughs> like that, 
it's just it's frankly it's kind of ridiculous and um i think there's an, an important lesson for max to be learned when kate does jump which is that like you can't save everybody which and, i which i think is a big part of what they were trying to do there and it's also more true to life that like yeah for people who who need help and are are at the brink of committing self-harm or suicide yeah. there's not going to be a mythical person who walks in and says all the right things and does all the right things and saves them that's yeah. not realistic that's a video game world the yeah. outcome in which kate jumps is in some ways more realistic yeah i mean obviously we're talking about a game in which you can play with time so yeah. realism doesn't really matter right um but it's not even necessarily about like what the most realistic outcome is it's just in the world that they've in which they've set up in which case in which your choices are supposed to matter it just felt completely like pulling the rug out from underneath my feet and saying, yeah. no, actually, it doesn't matter that you're a good friend. It doesn't matter that you know that her dad loves her. It just matters that you said the wrong thing about videos, maybe said the wrong thing somewhere else, and then also randomly chose the wrong Bible verse. Sorry. Thwarted by Christianity yet again. <laughs> yet again. <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> so that's basically episode two. Yeah. And I know I know that this can sound like just gamer salt because, you know, I quote unquote lost this transaction. But I'm trying I I really want to impress as much as I can that I'm trying to see past those emotions and it's not just me responding to those emotions. Yeah, as as someone as someone that didn't like experience the salt firsthand, I think you have a lot of really valid points and I think that that part of the game could have been designed better like i think there was a lot of cool stuff that they did i think the fact that your conversation got buffed by you doing the right things was really cool i think the other dialogue options needed to be a bit more clear a bit yeah. more, a bit more clear a, maybe a bit more lenient yeah uh clarity i think would have been a huge help yeah and and the clincher being that bible verse that you don't think to memorize if you're just skimming all the stuff in kate's room like, how is that more important than the fact that her dad loves her? Yeah. How is that the, how is that the ultimate decision yeah. to make her? I mean, she's super religious, but still, you know, like, yeah. Like, it's... Especially because, like, this is the first time in the game where the game sort of punishes you for not paying attention to every little detail. That's true. Yeah, That's like, a good point. That's like, not something the game set up. Yeah, like, episode one, you don't really need to pay attention to really small details like that. That starts in episode two. And there is a small thing that happens in episode two where it's like, oh, like I paid attention to this little detail and that paid off. I forget exactly what that exchange was. I think maybe it was some kind of conversation with uh, with one of Victoria's like mean girl sidekicks. Yeah, uh, I think you might be thinking of there's a girl whose mother is like recently in the hospital or something. Yes. And you can like change your relationship with her by responding to that. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. And And I think like there's. There's just some small thing that you wouldn't really know about her unless you're like looking at every little thing and you can like answer that and that changes the conversation for the better. But that conversation happens after you're walking around Kate's room, you yeah. know? So like, so while the game does reward you for paying attention to small details earlier in the chapter, the most important small detail is already out of your reach by the time it does that. Right. And yeah, so I think there's some aspects of that that absolutely could have been designed better. Although I did really love the high concept and I, I did really love the stakes and and how the echoes of that are literally felt for the rest of the game. Yes. Stakes, concept, you know, all good, execution, failing grade. On the bright side, that means that we had two very different experiences with the rest of the game. And <laughs> yeah. now we can like talk about those differences and that'll be cool. And also I think just to wrap up this conversation about Kate, 
if you're someone who's going through these struggles in life, know that there are people who love you and that there are resources available to you uh, and that you're not alone. Yeah. Um, actually, one thing I really yeah. love and appreciate that Life is Strange did is after you beat the game, uh, you just get a splash screen that says, if you were affected by the themes in this game, here are some resources. It's actually not only when you beat the game. It's constantly on a crawl on the main load-in screen. Oh, oh, that's... Uh, uh, that's at the bottom cool. of the screen when you're at the episode selection or somewhere in there, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a crawl that's like... If you're affected by the things of this game, here go to our website for resources. Yeah. But I think that's like, yeah, I mean, this game has a lot of a lot of heavy topics, especially for the demographic of the characters it's showing. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to remember that like this can be heavy material for folks. And if you are struggling with that, get the help you need. Yeah. So that's episode two. Yeah. Like when I got to the end of episode two, I'm like, okay, I, I see you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Like that was that was that moment for me, you know? Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. So there's a lot of what you did in episodes one and two throughout episode three. You know, like in my playthrough, like I got to see Nathan get expelled uh, because... Yeah, that happens. I think there are things yeah. that happen unilaterally. Yeah. It's just the reasons for them happening might be slightly different. Okay, that's cool. You get to see a lot of people's reactions to Kate almost jumping. In this case, there's a in my playthrough, there was a lot of relief. I'm sure in yours, there's probably a lot of mourning. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people congratulating you for, like, trying to save her. Oh, that's nice. I guess <laughs> And being still... the only one who tries to. Uh, so they're still nice to you in your playthrough. That's yeah. nice. In episode three, uh, her and Chloe really decide to go full in on the investigation of what happened to Rachel. And, yeah, uh... Max kind of starts to feel like Kate and Rachel are not isolated incidents. Yes. But uh, rather, they are interrelated somehow. Yeah, so they try to tackle several leads, one of them being Frank, a drug dealer that Chloe owes a lot of money. Uh, he also knew Rachel, was Rachel's supplier. So at one point you break into Frank's RV to sort of find find evidence that maybe he might know where Rachel is. What you find out is that A, he doesn't know where Rachel is, and B, he was like in a relationship with Rachel. Yeah, uh, which the game, I would say, not does, a, does not do a great job of... Mm. Discussing how, how problematic that is. Yeah, I, I think the game could have been a little more clear that, that was gross. Yeah, he's an old, he's a he's a grown man. He's not an old man. He's a grown man, like yeah, easily in his late twenties or early thirties. Yeah, and no one's ever like, hmm, this is bad. Yeah, exactly. No, like, <laughs> like se- Chloe's jealous. Yeah, Chloe, which, Chloe, yeah, you know that makes sense for a teenage girl, but like, right? Yeah, no, the, the game actually like tries to make you empathize with Frank a lot, and like later in the game, it sort of yeah, shows yeah, you yeah. how much Frank misses Rachel, and it's like, no, that's. This right. is gross. There's supposed to be like beautiful, endearing moments for Frank, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you're disgusting. I don't I don't want to empathize with you. No. Um like, like you know, I'm they... sorry Rachel's dead, but yeah. I'm not sorry she's out of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, like it, it did make Frank seem very human, but he's a very gross human. Yes, one might call him a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> uh over the course of the game. Chloe's also getting more and more frustrated because Chloe keeps getting small betrayals over the course of the game, but especially in Chapter 3. She feels like her mom's against her because she's she sides more with her douchebag stepfather than she sides with her. She still feels echoes of betrayal from Max for not talking to her for years and years. Her other best friend, Rachel, has been missing for a while. And then she finds out that Rachel's been lying to her and she really starts to lash out at this point. Uh, the sort of 
escalates into her saying that she blames her father the most of all for dying five years ago and just exiting her life by being in this car crash. So Max goes home to her apartment. She at one point gets like this old picture of herself and Chloe hanging out. From the day that her Chloe's father died. Yeah, and at that point she, she finds out a new facet of her power. The ability to sort of jump to any time that she's experienced she can jump to the moment that the picture was taken. Yeah, she can jump to the By moment. By focusing on a picture, she can jump to that moment. Yeah. Um, and enter the body of her younger self. Yeah. And she sort of just finds this out by, like, staring at the picture for a while, and then suddenly, she's 12 again. She's hanging out with Chloe and Chloe's dad. And basically, you you not only get to, but you sort of have to. Like, right. The game, There's not a choice to be made there. Yeah. <laughs> the game makes, yeah. The game makes this mandatory. And I actually, like... The first time the scene played through, I just, like, let the dad leave, right? Like, And I, then did I, it do its, like, time stop thing and make it, you rewind? Yeah, the, yeah, it did its time stop thing and made me rewind because, like, I was like, oh, this is going to be some butterfly effect shit. Like, you know, like, I'm, if the dad doesn't die, I'm going to get back and things are going to be worse somehow. So I wonder if I can just let him stay dead. But you can't. You can't at this point of the game. No. This is, this it's is, something uh, that Max needs to learn. Exactly, and that's totally fine. I didn't feel robbed of a choice or anything. Yeah. So then it turns out that by going back in time and saving William, Chloe's father, yeah. uh, you actually put Chloe in a wheelchair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to talk about that reveal, actually. Because, yeah, you, you, you get back and everything is different, right? You're one of the popular kids now. Victoria yeah. is like your best friend. Right. And you run, you run to Chloe's house and the dad answers the door. Uh, so clearly you did a good job saving him. Right, yeah. He's like, oh, hey, Max, how's it going? I haven't seen you in, in a while. It's like, oh, hey, um, yeah, I'm so sorry that uh, I haven't been in touch lately, but like, I would never abandon you. I would never do that to Chloe. He's like, oh, yeah, speaking, speaking of Chloe, uh, why don't you say hi? And like, it cuts to the point of view of Chloe advancing like towards Max like in her wheelchair. <laughs> but the th- the thing is, like, Chloe in her wheelchair, it's kind of a high-up wheelchair, right? So, like... It's an electric wheelchair. Yes, it's electric. she's paraplegic, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's electric wheelchair. Um, But, like, Chloe's head is not much lower than Max's head, like, even in the wheelchair, you know? Like, she's maybe a head lower than Max at most. When, <laughs> when you see Max from Chloe's point of view, that point of view is, like, a foot above the ground, right? <laughs> and my first actual thought was, oh, my God. Chloe's dead, and they named a dog after her. <laughs> well, thankfully that didn't come to pass. <laughs> yeah, that, that that whole uh, that whole scene could have been handled a little bit better. Max also recoils in a way that like makes Chloe being in a wheelchair seem like she's a monster, <laughs> which is not super great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she recoils in a way that's a little dramatic for my taste. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you know, like I, it's I, a surprise, think, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I think I get what they were trying to do. You know, it's like, oh, this isn't the Chloe I know. What happened to Chloe? There are times that you kind of do notice the game's kind of clunky visuals, mm-hmm. and I would say that this is one of those times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the reveal that the chapter ends on. Chloe yeah. and chapter four sort of uh, starts with Max taking this all in. Yeah, and I think I don't think we need to talk about chapter three too much more. Yeah, it's kind of setting up. It's the middle chapter, so yeah. it's it's reconciling what just happened and setting up what's going to come. Yes, yeah. Um, basically, you're inve- all in on on investigating Rachel, and also Max learns about this new facet of her power and the implications it can have. Yeah. 
So then in episode four, you're kind of uh, interacting with this version of this alternate version of Chloe, who is yeah. uh, quadriplegic, actually, and, and bound to her right. her wheelchair. Instead of her father dying in a car accident, uh, when Chloe is of age of getting her own car, she actually gets in a car accident yeah. um, and becomes paralyzed from the neck down. And, you know, obviously this is weighing on her family and her parents can't really afford her medical bills. Yeah. And also you, as you're walking around her, their house, you discover a note from the doctor that her respiratory health is declining and yeah. they don't think she's going to live even on life support for much longer. And it turns out Chloe knows this too. She overheard the doctor saying this. So the yeah. big first decision you have in that episode is Chloe asks you to kill her yeah. and to kind of put her you know, out of her misery, as the expression goes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you have the ability to either decide to kill her or say no. Yeah. Uh, I think we both said no. Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, we're not playing hitmen. <laughs> um, you know, like, that decision point, you know, was obviously really, really intense and sad, but I think it was also pretty well done. And I totally got where Chloe is coming from in that. You know, like, I... I respected her making that decision. That was never like, that's never something where I could be the one to pull the trigger on that. It's yeah. like, I, I respect your decision, but I'm not going to kill you. You know, right, yeah. right. Um, <laughs> that was actually a very real feeling, like part of the game for me. Like I really yeah. like related to, to that sequence. And I, I felt things during, during that point. Before we move on, I, I do really want to talk about that whole sequence where, where you're sort of hanging out with Chloe in this alternate universe We've been talking about the Firewatch episode a surprising amount of times in this one, <laughs> and one of the things we talked about in the Firewatch episode is how we wish there were more quiet, boring moments in games. Yeah. And I really thought about that a lot uh, during the first part, the first big chunk of Chapter 4, where you're just spending a day with Chloe in a wheelchair. You're, you go to the beach, you yeah. watch Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you wipe sand off her face. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You you just like you do a lot of very like, just a very like a lot of mundane like incidental stuff. You're just spending a day with your friend, and they really let this play out. They you know do. they, yeah. uh, and and it doesn't drag either. It, it just I I wasn't really sold on this twist uh, at the end of chapter three, but once I got to experience like this full sequence in chapter four, like I was like, oh wow, that's this might be one of the best sequences in the game for me actually this yeah. this was really well done and just really sobering and and i i got super immersed in that in those moments and just those just those regular boring moments in that game yeah and I, well i think part of it too is they did a great job of showing max's emotion and registering yeah. these like kind of normal boring things yeah. But they actually aren't for her because she feels responsible for Chloe being in this condition. Yes. And it's all new to her. It's not new to Chloe. Chloe only knows this reality. Yes. But Max knows both realities. Yeah. And seeing Max acclimate to this reality and what it means for Chloe uh, is very powerful as well. Yes. I had a slightly different reaction only in that uh, as, so, as someone who grew up in Florida on the <laughs> beach and remembers vividly Red Tide – uh, there's a moment where they're on the beach together. Yeah. And part of the thing that we haven't really talked that much about is like the impending natural disaster. And, uh, by episode three, a bunch of whales have been beached on the shores of Arcadia Bay. Yeah. And all I could think about was how terrible that must smell for them. And no <laughs> one's commenting on it. Like if you're from Sarasota, like we are, yeah. there's a, like a, a couple week period every year 
called Red Tide, where a bunch of fish wash up on the shores of the beaches and die. And you can smell it all the way downtown from the beach. Like, it it is pervasive. No, it's it's awful. It's rank. (laughs) Having that happen with six fucking whales? Like, how are they on the beach right now? How can anyone stand to be there? How can anyone stand to be in the town? The smell must be god awful so that was my thought for most of that episode <laughs> that didn't even occur to me <laughs> like, clearly yeah. it didn't occur to the writers either yeah like, if, if you've got six beached whales you're not hanging out on the beach oh man that's a good point i just during red tide season like i just wasn't anywhere near the beach you know so i sort of forgot it <laughs> even that. still yeah. you can still smell it yeah so that was my major takeaway from episode three was apparently <laughs> beached whales don't smell which <laughs> i don't believe is true <laughs> uh but I, I agree all in all, I think that that was one of the more kind of quiet, beautiful moments of, of the game. And it, it set up this very dramatic choice for, for Max, which is she's realizing that like if this is what's going to happen to Chloe and eventually she's going to find a way to kill herself or have someone do it for her, Max has to make the decision to undo what she redid yeah. and like let William go off to his doom. And yeah. so you then have to relive that moment trapped as Max, unable to to you know keep william from his car keys yeah as you had in the past then he goes out and obviously you get sent back to the normal timeline yeah really cool sequence just all very cool very very well done i think it really kind of highlights one of the things that i think overall the game does well which is integrate max's power into the narrative yeah um it doesn't ever feel like two separate things or rarely ever does it feel like two separate things like max has this power and also there's this story happening. Yeah. The, and also I think that's helped by the fact that like Max wants to be a photographer and a lot of this is related to, you know, Polaroid photos. Yeah. Um, but they do a really good job of integrating um, that, that game mechanic yeah. into the narrative. Yeah. I agree completely. A, a lot of it felt like really seamless too. Like some, yeah. sometimes like. Sometimes you get the Kate Marsh example, but. Yeah. But, but there's also some points where some cutscenes are essentially you using the mechanic, you know? Right. They they really interwove, yeah, the, the mechanics and the story together, like, in a really cool way. You're right. So the other major plot part of episode four is that you and Chloe, once you come back to the, the true timeline, once you, once you as Max yeah. decide that William has to die, yeah. you come back to the true timeline, and you are rededicated to finding Rachel Amber, and you unlock some really key leads. Yeah. And it, it all points to Nathan Prescott being the one who drugged and murdered her. Yes. So you, you and Chloe go to... A vortex party at the school. It's the end of the world party. Get it? Because the, the world is kind of ending uh, due to this impending natural disaster. And you go to the the party and you, you're trying to find Nathan so that you can confront him and you can, you know, kind of stop him from, from committing his next crime. Uh, then it turns out that it wasn't Nathan. It was actually Mark Jefferson. Uh, and you find this out because you get a, a text from Nathan's phone yeah. that he's going to go dis- uh, get rid of Rachel Amber's body, which you found. Yes. And when you get there, it's nighttime and like idiots, you're walking around making a lot of noise with your cell phone light out. That <laughs> seemed a little bit contrived. And uh, uh, as you find Rachel's body and see that she's still there, a creepy shadow comes out of nowhere and injects a syringe into Max's neck yeah. and then shoots and kills Chloe. And then as the scene, as Max is losing consciousness, you see this form above you that's actually not Nathan, who you expect it to be, right. or David, if you thought your, that plot twist was going to happen. Right. And it's actually your pho- photography professor, Mark. Yeah. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, which which surprised me. Like, I, I was surprised by that Yeah, twist. I didn't see that twist coming, personally. Yeah, but, like, you know, looking back, there was a lot of 
a lot of hints and foreshadowing about Mark Jefferson. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily interact with students in the way that you'd want a professor to do, especially yeah. with high school students. Yes. And he says some pretty dark things at times. Yeah. Um, and he has, a, he has a bad interaction with Kate at one point. Yes. And actually, like, actually pretty much any time you try to go to Jefferson about anything relating to Rachel Amber or Nathan Prescott or, and, you know, and any of this conspiracy that's going on in the background, Jefferson tries to guide you away from those things. He yeah. tries to discourage you from pursuing this path. And initially, when I experienced those parts of the game, I was like, oh, he's... He's just a, a shitty adult who doesn't believe me. Right. Um, but instead, he's a shitty adult who actually murdered these people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's how episode four ends with that twist. Episode five ends, and you are tied up in uh, Mark Jefferson's torture chamber. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of remembering that Chloe's dead and mm. all this crap, and you're trying to get out. And the game introduces some some new puzzles. They have to use your time mechanics yeah. uh, to figure out how to get to a photo so you can go to a different time and try to reset. And there's a lot of time hopping in this episode. Yeah, you do a lot of photo jumping. I think what's really interesting about this episode um, is that up until this point, though, of course, it has the overlaying mechanic of fucking with time. The mm -hmm. the episodes are structurally pretty straightforward. Yeah. You either go backwards or forwards, but you do it kind of linearly. Yeah. And in this episode, you're jumping all over the place. And yeah. at the end, you're jumping into Max's psyche. Uh, as her powers kind of break down and she loses control of them. Yeah, yeah. And I think what was most interesting and most jarring to me about this episode, and I wasn't sure if I liked this episode at first, right. because it feels like a very steep turn for the game to take right. into this kind of like M.C. Escher-esque, like, <laughs> you know, bizarro world. Right. Um, but the more you discover that and the more you kind of like jump into Max's psyche and the more you're kind of stuck in the ramifications of each time loop you try to fix the more it kind of made sense to me yeah yeah um so at first you kind of fix everything and chloe's back alive kate's back alive mm -hmm. um you've basically fixed every murder except for rachel amber's because you can't go back that far and still be in arcadia bay but what ends up happening is uh when you're off for this photo competition the tornado that you've kind of prophesied comes and kills everyone including chloe so yeah. you realize you can't live what what I think is most emotional is that yeah. Max can't live in this utopia she's created for herself. Yeah. Like this world in which Kate's safe, Chloe's safe, Victoria's safe, and you won a photo contest and like yeah. you're living your best life yeah, yeah. is not accessible to you if you want the rest of the town to live. Yes. Yeah. Um. So after that, Max realizes she needs to go back and do things a little bit differently. So – you know, the game doesn't really explain why Max realizes that she needs to be in Arcadia Bay when the tornado comes to save everyone, but that's the realization she comes to. Yeah, uh, like, I, I think you could connect a dot and say that, you know, Max realizes that she could probably use her power somehow to stop it, even if she's not sure how yet, so she knows she has to be present for this. So she goes back and she undoes that utopian world. Yeah. And I can't remember how many other iterations of, like, possible worlds there are, but essentially you get to one where things are basically where they were. Kate, unfortunately, is dead. Well, in your timeline. Well, in my timeline, right. Yeah. Uh, Nathan is dead because uh, Mark Jefferson kills him. Yeah. Um, it turns out that Nate actually did kill Rachel Amber, but he did it to impress Mark. Yeah. And then Mark, realizing that that was sloppy, kills Nathan. Yeah. It's a bunch of, like, th there may be a little, one or two too many plots that they felt that they needed <laughs> to clear up by the end of the game. But so basically you get to this ending where Max is in town when the tornado comes and you're trying to save as many people as you can. 
So basically, the last choice you make in the game is, do you save Chloe at the expense of Arcadia Bay? Or do you save Arcadia Bay at the expense of Chloe? Max yeah. essentially comes to the understanding that she can't save both. The tornado is there. It's it's not really her fault, yeah. but the tornado coming to town and her powers appearing at the same time are not a coincidence. They yes. must be related. Yeah. And by sacrificing one, she can save the other. Yeah. And that maybe the universe does, in fact, need Chloe to die. If you go against the universe, that means the rest of Arcadia Bay needs to die instead. Yeah. I assume we made the same choice, which was to save Arcadia Bay. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We both We're sacrificed. not psychopaths. <laughs> we both sacrificed <laughs> Chloe. Uh, actually, what surprised me is when we got to the, the end of this, like, you know, when we got to the end of that chapter, about half of people saved Chloe instead of Arcadia yeah. Bay. Uh, and I'm guessing that at least 40% of those people are just super thirsty for Chloe. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because in the reality in which you save Arcadia Bay, they do actually have a nice little kiss. Yeah. And then they say goodbye. Yeah. That is cute. Um, <laughs> Sidebar, in your last scene with Warren, right? Yeah. When he's like, oh, yeah, I, I believe all this time hopping stuff you're talking about. You probably inadvertently caused this tornado. Um, so I'm going to do everything I can to help you fix things. I'm guessing that you had the option to either just like leave without really giving Warren any affection or to hug him, right? Or kiss him. You you ha- you had an option to kiss him? I had an option to kiss him, yeah. I had pushed him away so much that I could, oh, really? only, that I could only hug him or do nothing. Oh, that's funny. No, yeah. I had hug, kiss, or leave. Oh, I chose nice. hug. Yeah, I chose hug too. Because I'm actually Warren's friend, unlike you. <laughs> You're just bullying him, it sounds like. No, I just... No, I, I don't d- know. You should really interrogate your actions. I didn't want to lead him on in any way. But you can still be friends with the guy. <laughs> I I was I was worried for a while that Warren might be one of those boys, you know? Like, where you being his friend makes him think that he's entitled to more. I, I eventually realized that I, I should have given Warren more credit than that. Damn right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hugged him. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> if if you make the choice to sacrifice Chloe, what happens is you jump back to your very first decision and don't do anything. You just right. sit in you sit in the bathroom as Chloe dies. So similar to when you have to jump back in time and watch William walk out to his certain death. Yeah, you you are brought back into that moment in the in the bathroom where Nathan shoots Chloe. Yeah, and you have to sit there and listen to it happen and not stop it. Yeah, so th- this is something. <laughs> this is actually something I I want to talk about because this is where I especially realized, like you know, I had a general feeling. It's like, oh, I, you know, it feels like the writing's a little better. I haven't like complained about the writing at all in the last like three episodes. <laughs> but when it replayed that scene from episode one, <laughs> yeah, like, you're I, reminded I was, how bad it is. Yeah, like I was, I was starting to get emotional, right? Like have like he like hearing the scene play out and like seeing Max just like weep in that corner, but. It did take me a little out of it when, like, Max is weeping in the corner and you just hear, I hear you got hella cash. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, maybe this character can die. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not, quite, not quite at that level. But, yeah, like, I was like, oh, yeah, the writing in episode one was really bad. Wow, they've gotten way better at this. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice trip down memory lane. Not necessarily for Max, but for us. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's pretty much Life is Strange. Um, I think we talked a lot about the choices in the game, but uh, Daniel, you mentioned Kate was one of your favorite characters. Did you have any other characters you wanted to highlight? Kate was amazing. I think one of one of the great things about this game is that with Nathan being one of the major exceptions, everyone gets fleshed out in a way that you can relate to them on at least some level. Like in, in Chapter 1, Chloe's stepdad is just an unrepentant dick. There seems to be no way to empathize with this dude. 
in subsequent chapters, you see the ways that being an ex-soldier has sort of affected his mindset. You see how much he loves Chloe's mom and how much he's trying to love Chloe and, and like right. be a positive influence in her life. And then at the end of the game, he's the person who saves you. Yes. I like David a lot as a character by the end, and I think yeah. they did a really good job with that. Like, even characters that are kind of one-dimensional dicks for a large portion of the game, <laughs> like like the principal, yeah. um, like you even get to see like him show remorse and trying to be a better person. Although that was an alternate dimension, so who who knows if he sticks to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and Nathan was kind of a disappointment because he was kind of the most one-dimensionally evil character in the whole game. They only sort of reveal at the last minute that he's been manipulated by Nathan all this time. That he's very mentally ill and he's been taken advantage of. I think there are a lot of opportunities to develop Nathan more and make him right. make him a more faceted character but it feels like don't nod kind of gave up well it's it's like by the time that, that that could happen they'd already killed him yeah yeah exactly do you have any favorite characters i agree i think well i mean it's hard for me not to uh like max as a character because we share a name <laughs> so that one feels like kind of obvious right um i think the characters are for the most part good I, I i would agree with everything you said yeah i would say however the voice acting is not good across the board <laughs> Uh, I think Max and Chloe are, are mostly admirable. Yeah, I really saw where people were coming from with the critical acclaim for Ashley Birch as Chloe, yeah. especially. She uh, does a really good job. Yeah. The rest of the cast, maybe not so much. <laughs> Chloe in particular, you see so many different versions of Chloe throughout the game. Ashley Birch voices all of them. She voices Chloe as an 18-year-old, but she voices Chloe as a 13-year-old. She voices Chloe after she's been paralyzed. These are three very different takes on the character. Yeah. And Ashley Birch makes And they them, all feel different. Yeah, they all feel different and very believable. Uh, in the first chapter, I was like, oh, is this is this the performance everyone's raving about? Like, she's, she's fine. She's good. Alongside the clunky writing, I also felt like the voice directing for episode one was off, and they got better I, at that. I think one, the voice directing is a is a problem throughout the game. Yeah. I think one thing that is hard in voiceover work, and I don't think this game does particularly well, mm -hmm. is make it feel like the actors are talking to each other mm -hmm. rather than just saying their lines. Right. And I don't know if that's necessarily for this game a directing issue or an editing issue, but it never. I never felt like like these characters were in a room together. It always felt like actors were reading a line. I guess I can see where you're coming from there. I actually felt like the more episodes we got in, the better I think the performances got. Like, I felt like I was kind of tolerating Max, Max's voice performance in the first episode. But she had some amazing delivery and really connected me to her character in later chapters. Yeah, I think that's generally true. I think like most things with this game, it got better as it went along. The episodes... I don't know if they had more money. I don't know yeah. if they had more time. But the, ep yeah. the later episodes all feel like more thoroughly developed and published and, and more thoughtfully edited than the first episodes do. Yeah, I actually thought all the voice acting was good at worst. Ugh. Good at worst with, with a couple of major exceptions. A, a lot of the one-off NPCs, obviously, didn't, right. didn't have great voices. But there are, only, there are only like a couple characters I can think of that... <laughs> that were like kind of important like throughout the game but did not have good voice actors throughout and that was Samuel <laughs> uh the the gardener hi there man yeah 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 Samuel's just yeah i don't know why he was written to speak in third person that was doing very a, doing a little gardening and uh, max's friend Alyssa who mm -hmm. i i really liked as a character you sort of have a little side arc where you save her uh, at least once in yeah. every game but she sort of 
talks like she has something in her mouth the whole time. Neither of those bothered me nearly as much as the character of Daniel, who was just a super racist version of a Latino person. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, D- Daniel's voice acting wasn't great. I he, like Daniel's he, a character. He sounded more often than he sounded Latino. He sounded Middle Eastern to me. And that was mm. not, that was very problematic. Yeah. That was, that was a major issue for me was, was that voice acting choice. And, uh, it was an actor who played multiple roles. And I'm not going to make any assumptions about that actor based off of his appearance or name, but he does not appear to be someone who, um, is of a Latino population. Right. And it comes through in his performance. Yeah. And if that's the choice you're going to make, like, first of all, hire a Latino actor. But yes. if that's the choice you're going to make, don't have them do an accent. It's insulting and it's racist. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he he could have been Latino and you know second generation or something you know or also you could have hired a Latino actor yes but also it, the character just because they are of of a certain background doesn't mean they have to have a stereotypical accent yeah exactly yeah. Uh, that that was the most frustrating choice to me was was Daniel and it was very off putting yeah that's a good point that's a really good point yeah I think the voice acting you know it's hard because we just played Firewatch which has probably the best voice acting ever <laughs> and this this acting. has good voice acting but you really do notice those differences not just in performance but I think also in directing and editing like I you can just tell that the actors were not given the same setup in the room as they are in other games like like yeah. Firewatch where it never in Firewatch feels like even for a second that those two characters aren't talking to each other. And that's how voice acting is done. You're yeah. not talking to anyone. I mean, you might be talking to like, you know, a, a person in the room, but you're not talking to your, to your castmate. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. just saying lines into a microphone Yeah, for, you know, eight to 10 hours. Yeah. And th- that's true more often than not, at least. Yeah. And that really comes across for me in, in uh, life is strange. Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from there. I don't think there's too much to talk about with the visuals of this game. It's, you know, it's kind of a clunky little 3d, you know, game with character designs, which is kind of endemic of this genre. Most games in this genre look like this or a version of this, so it wasn't distracting or off-putting. Yeah, generally looks definitely looks like a PS3 generation game. Yeah, but it looks like it looks like a good-looking game from that generation. Yeah, I think it shows its age a little bit, but I, I think it still holds up. And I think this is fine to talk about in visuals, but I also enjoyed the way that they kind of. Uh, overlaid the photography aesthetic and like you know that that part of max's character into the visuals and also into the mechanics of the game like yeah. you know there's a little bit of a collectible aspect in the game and if you set up certain scenarios right in each episode yeah. you can take a little picture and you get an achievement for doing it yeah. and it gets added to your journal and that was a cute little addition to the game yeah i saw that you took most of the pictures when i was looking at your trophies maybe yeah. I feel like I missed two or three in each episode. Yeah, I missed almost all of them in several episodes. Really? Yeah, I I missed a lot of them, and I felt like oh, I I wouldn't say that I hunted for them, but I enjoyed finding them. Yeah, that's cool. And the game kind of gives you a preview because if you go to the yeah, the yeah, journal yeah. tab, you can kind of see a, a drawing of what the picture could be. Yeah, generally, and I so notice... it like gives you a little bit of a clue. <laughs> yeah, I generally notice those like after the fact. <laughs> um... Fair enough. Any, yeah, any other miscellaneous thoughts that you had that you wanted to share? Uh, music was really solid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's actually... So I kind of referenced earlier that you can kind of feel Square Enix's power uh, in, in certain parts of this game. And one of those areas, I think, is the soundtrack. Yeah. Because I think there's a version of this game that's both uh, designed and produced by Don't Not, in which it's all original music written by some guy in his garage, and it's not very good. Yeah. Um, but I have to assume because of the backing of Square Enix, they were actually able to sign on some actually some pretty interesting choices yeah for for music they actually got some music from from some pretty interesting and big bands uh most notable to me 
personally, um, local natives, Alt-J, Bright Eyes, Amanda Palmer, uh, Mogwai, and Foles. And I thought that these were some really interesting choices for the characters because I definitely had a Bright Eyes phase in high school. And so when Bright Eyes was a pretty big part of some of the emotional kind of more high school uh, (laughs) choices that happened in the game, it really kind of transported me back to like my time of listening to Connor Oberst's like sad music. And it definitely felt, it made the world feel more real to me. Um, having these kind of, you know, big bands uh, have their songs in the game versus, like I said, you know, if it was just an indie, probably just some dude in his garage, right, right. which also kind of sometimes explains Connor Ober's music, but that's a that's a different <laughs> thing. I think that's really cool that they were able to put that into the budget and have some actual cool licensed songs in there. It definitely helped, I think. Yeah. Like like I said, it just makes the world feel more real, which is important when you're talking about a world that plays with like time in a way yeah. that is not real at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think those are our thoughts on Life is Strange. Our, our very few thoughts. Very... On li- <laughs> oh, you're joking because yeah. we talked forever. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's worth saying that the structure of this episode was a little bit different. We, we kind of had more of an episodic breakdown to do. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, that kind of encapsulates really the game does a great job overall of kind of making your choice feel like it matters. There's one really big example where I think they do frankly fail in that. And it's kind of an off-putting example, but on the whole, my major takeaway is that life is strange is a very good game. Um, If you like games in this genre and you haven't played life is strange yet, you absolutely should. And if you don't like games in this genre uh, or you haven't tried any games in this genre, life is strange is worth trying. I'm completely on board with that. I really, really liked Life is Strange. I thought it was a really... It did stumble in a couple places, but I think it just did a whole lot of things, way more things than I was expecting, just really right, you know? And I actually enjoyed it so much that after I beat Life is Strange, I bought and downloaded Before the Storm. Which oh, interesting. Is, which is the prequel to this game. I haven't started playing it yet uh, because I didn't want it to affect my sure. opinion of Life is Strange before I did the podcast. But basically... Like, I'm going to start playing it tomorrow. And I've heard it's not quite as good, so I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll probably be talking about it next episode. It's <laughs> one of, like, my side games. And, and you know, like, that that game isn't designed by Don't Nod, so what this does more than anything is make me really interested and excited on what Life is Strange 2 is going to be like, which has been announced and will come out sometime within the next year, apparently. They've mentioned that they want to, like, focus on a different cast and make it involve a different set of circumstances. So I'm interested to see what crazy cool new sci-fi thing they use as a framing for these really intimate character stories. So more to come from the Life is Strange team, probably on this podcast uh, (laughs) or a podcast near you. So that's Life is Strange. Daniel, what are we playing next time? So, uh, we did something really cool. (laughs) If we do say so ourselves. (laughs) In that we got recommendations from listeners for this episode. Listeners like you. Yeah. uh, You know, PBS would say. Bunch of you guys sent in emails and tweets offering games for us to play over the next month. Uh, The rest of the month of May, we're not going to be doing any episodes because we'll be doing a lot of traveling and stuff. 
So during that time, we will be playing our listener recommendation that we picked. Before we announce which game we're actually going to play, um, Daniel, why don't you read some of the lovely emails we received from listeners out there? You got it. Uh, So this first email is from Ben. Ben says, Hey, Max and Daniel, Ben here once again. I was thinking Mega Man Legends for PS1 would be a fun game for you to play because it seems to be so divisive. I personally love this game because it's one of those games my brothers and I used to play together, trying to figure things out in an open world game. Apart from the nostalgia, the weapons also have a lot of custom options for a game from 1997, and there's also robots to fight for fun at any point during the game. It's also from a time of video game history where graphics engines were having a change overall from 16-bit to 360 fully realized worlds, such as going from SNES to Nintendo 64 or PS1. I think there's a lot of fun history that goes along with this game. I hope you try it out. Thanks, Ben. So, Ben, uh... Unfortunately, I've played Mega Man <laughs> Legends, but this is an amazing recommendation. I I really like what he said about that early PS1 and 64 era where people were figuring out how to make games in 3D. And I think Mega Man Legends is is a game that tries things in that space that actually aged really well in a lot of ways. And I really love Mega Man Legends. It's a super fun game. It's something that I might be recommending to Max down the line. Yeah. So thank you for reminding me that game exists. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Good pick. Our next uh, recommendation uh, came from Mitch Earl, who says, Hey, play this. I love the podcast. I'm recommending Splasher for the Nintendo Switch. This game is so amazing, and it is one of my favorite games I've played this year, and this year I got Mario, Stardew Valley, and Celeste. It is a hidden gem, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but the few people that have praised it like myself. The game is similar to Super Meat Boy and Celeste, but is also very unique in a good way. The controls are super good and responsive, and it is super fun just to run around and shoot. The game is great to play on the go, and there is tons to do even after you beat the game, with time trials and stuff. It's super fun rushing through a level after you've beaten it and seeing how fast you can get. The game has a simple idea, but as you progress through it, more concepts change up the gameplay. This is a 10 out of 10 game for me, and I really hope you play it. Which, after reading it out loud, now I feel like, well, it was a contender, but I'm sorry we didn't choose it, Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Please uh, still love us. Yeah, um, no, that that was a good pick. And it's a great that, pick. Yeah, and something that wasn't really on my radar before I went and looked at Splasher after this, and we we did come kind of close to picking it, actually. I hope you understand why we chose the game we chose in the end, but I will say that Daniel and I both did not have Splasher on our radar before your recommendation, and we totally do now, and we both definitely plan on playing it at some point. Yes, so thank you, Mitch. Cody D says, Psychonauts is my all-time favorite game because of how fun, happy, and quirky it appears on the surface, but if you look hard enough, the darkness begins to pour in. Thanks, Cody. Psychonauts has been on my radar, actually, for like a really long time. It's one of those games that I just have never gotten around to playing. Yeah, same here. We're both big Tim Schafer fans, so it's kind of strange that we haven't played it. Yes, yeah. That's really one of like, sort of just the blanks on my Tim Schafer resume, you know, like I filled everything else in. But I haven't gotten around to Psychonauts yet, and it's something that I want to get around to before Psychonauts 2 hits in 2019. So this is one that you're almost sure to see us play over the course of this podcast. And we did pick something else, mainly because the game we picked will be able to play while we travel, 
But Psychonauts is an excellent pick, and thank you for sending it in. Absolutely. And before we get to the final email in the game that we did pick, there are many more emails that we haven't read um, and responses from you guys out there that we haven't read. And just thank you, everyone, who sent in recommendations. Uh, whether or not we choose the game that you sent in, we really appreciate hearing from you. And you all sent in some really interesting game choices. So thank you so much for responding. Yeah, uh, we love those picks. Send them in whenever you want. Thanks, everybody. As long as they're not dick picks. All right, Daniel, read us the the game that we are going to be playing next time on Play This. All right. Actual Superboy on Twitter says, Hollow Knight is a rad Switch game. It's a side-scrolling dungeon crawler, but with the difficulty of more real-time attack games like Dark Souls. It's pretty hard, but something that gets you addicted pretty quickly. Thank you, Actual Superboy. Uh, good pick. Yeah, this is a good pick. They've all been good picks. Yes. Uh, but this one has kind of a, like a, a, just a confluence of like reasons of why, we, why we wanted to play it. Yeah, this, this was a really good fit for us. Um, it's, it's the kind of game, like, this will be our first, like, Metroidvania game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we play on the podcast. And, um, after all these games that have focused a lot on narrative that we've played, for the podcast, I think it would be really cool to see a game that relies so heavily on mechanics, which yeah. is sort of the vibe that I've been getting from Hollow Knight. I haven't played any Hollow Knight, but I watched a couple of Let's Plays of early gameplay of Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. Quickly stopped because I realized that there was going to be stuff I was going to spoil and I might want to play this game one day and now I will play this game. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a surprising element of narrative in this game for a Metroidvania game. So okay. I'm excited to see exactly how all that plays out. Okay, neat. Yeah. But it is I... definitely mechanics driven. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to play this game. I've heard a lot of really, like, I just get a vibe that a lot of people really love it. It's extremely uh, crit- critically acclaimed. Yeah, the the aesthetic is super cool and unique. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited. This is the game that we're going to play. <laughs> we're going to play Hollow Knight on the next episode, and we're going to play it for the whole month of May, or at least for... Hi. Until we beat it. This is Daniel from Play This. You know... The podcast that you're listening to, as you might have just heard, in the original cut of this episode, Max and I agreed to play Hollow Knight for the Nintendo Switch, which we thought was a great idea, until the next day, when we both went on the eShop and realized that Hollow Knight has not been released for the Nintendo Switch yet. According to the developers, it'll be coming out very soon, possibly any week now at this point, but it probably won't be available until after Max and I meet up to record our next episode. Therefore, we made a decision off mic to play Psychonauts instead, which we came very close to picking in the first place. We think that this will still be a lot of fun to do and are really looking forward to it. Sorry if you got excited for 20 seconds there about us playing Hollow Knight. It seems like a really cool game, and when it's available on the Switch, I'm sure we'll find an opportunity to play it in the future. I guess you can listen to the rest of this episode. Bye! But also, hello. Goodbye. So yeah, check us out uh, roughly a month from now when we talk about our impressions on Psychonauts. Um, as we kind of do all of our month 
travel. We both just are doing so much of it in May. <laughs> yeah. Busy time. Yes. Um, but once again, I really just want to say thank you to everyone who emailed in. We loved getting your recommendations. We loved reading um, your passionate pleas for the various games you recommended to us. And please don't stop. Like, this is not the last time we're going to do a listener recommended game. Absolutely. So not. if you create a backlog of us for listener recommendations, that's awesome. Keep yes. sending in your thoughts. If you want to share any thoughts with us on Life is Strange or Avengers Infinite War, nope, Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> if your thought is just Max, learn how to say the name of a blockbuster, right? Please send that in. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at Play This Podcast or feedback at playthispodcast.com. Yeah. <laughs> I'd also like to thank Sean for our uh, theme music that you hear at the start and end of every episode, as well as the music in between segments. And I'd like to thank Kessie Rilaniki for making that good, good art. And thank you once again to Amy Lee for her recommendation of Life is Strange. Clearly, we both thoroughly enjoyed playing this game and talking about it thoroughly. Uh, so thank you for making that recommendation. Yeah, thanks, baby. You're, wel- you're, wel- you're welcome. Was that for me? <laughs> no, that was, that was for Amy. Oh, but she's not in the room right now, so you can see where that was kind of confusing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I thought right. you were saying thanks, baby, to me. No, this has baby. been the final episode of this. <laughs> <laughs> I made my big move, and Daniel rejected me. (laughs) Well, as always, it's dangerous to game alone. Play this! See you next month. Bye. Game over.